Comics Action Show is created by Jupiter Broadcasting. It's sponsored by Ting. Go to last.ting.com to save off your first device or plan. And DigitalOcean. Go to digitalocean.com and use the promo code Here's the Thing, all one word like you're slurring it, and spin up your own Linux rig for free. And Linux Academy. Go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged and invest in your mind while saving some money. Welcome to Linux Action Show episode 419. My name is Chris. My name is Noah. Hey there, Noah. Guess what? Coming up on this week's episode of the Linux Action Show, once we get through all of the news, and there is some important news like Oracle versus uh, Googs, we're going to review the Librem 13. Now, the folks over at Purism tell us this is their best crack at a laptop. I reviewed the Librem 15, and I wasn't super impressed. Though, I will give them the benefit of the doubt that once you have a do-over, you often get it right. So this week, we'll see if they nailed the 13-inch Linux Perfect Laptop, a machine built for Linux that's supposed to respect your privacy and freedom, including, I'm told, physical toggle switches for webcams and audios. So we'll talk more about that coming up in this week's episode of the show. I did tease the news. There is some big, big news going on that may have large ramifications with the GPL. We've got some great feedback from you, including including an example of what I love about our community. But before all of that, Noah? The picks. The picks. I was like, are you there, Noah? Yeah. The <laughs> picks. Now, you did yourself a one over this week, Noah. I'm impressed because this was an email that came into the show. And you're like, hey, guys, that's super great. I'm really glad you told us about this, but we'd really was, like to get a video. It was a, it was a, it was a post on Facebook. He, they posted uh, a what? couple pictures of, of, yeah, of their new shop, and I'm like, hold on a second. You don't go posting pictures on Facebook about a new shop running Linux without sending a video into the Linux Action Show Boom. and telling us about how you run Linux. Boom. I love the way you rock. So we're going to play their clip. This is their shop that runs Linux, and then we'll get into our desktop spotlight and our open source spotlight. So stand by. But first, we're going to watch a video from the folks over at Fixit, I think is what they call it. It's an IT mm -hmm. shop that runs Linux. And it's their new IT shop, too, which they'll tell us a little bit about here in this video. Super cool for these guys. Fix-It Leads IT Cooperative. Okay, so this is our new shop. We um, did a crowdfund, and this is what it managed to get us. So down here we have our pay-as-you-feel wall, which is basically old tech that people don't want. I love that. And you can basically take it, or you can pay whatever you want for it. Pay what you feel wall. Old tech we're just going to throw away anyways. Over here is our counter, which we've yet to find stuff to put in, but we will do. And through here is the workstation with one, two, three systems. There's Sev in the corner working away on the Vista machine. <laughs> yes, because we sometimes have to work on wind blows, yeah. I'm afraid. <laughs> and Al in the admin room working away on a system which is how what kind of system are you working on there what operating system is that it's ubuntu i'm afraid hey oh. Oh. it's ubuntu it's all right it's better than windows <laughs> <laughs> wow so moving through into our main room man room. into the showroom as we now call it mm. this is what we're all about so what we do is we get donations of pcs Oh, okay. As you can see from the spec there, it's only one gig, 80 gig hard drive with a minimal graphics card on it. And we put Ubuntu Mate on it. 
I, okay, so I love this idea, right? Don't you love mm-hmm. this? Idea? All right, so uh, if you, so for those of you who are listening, he's got a shot of, you know, it's not like the, the highest end LG monitor at all, but it's an LG, LG LCD monitor hooked up to a nice, reasonable PC with Ubuntu Mate 1604 installed. Runs like a dream. Yes, works absolutely perfectly. So, as well as the 20 pound PCs, we also do other PCs as well. This is one that's got Ubuntu Mate on as well. Awesome. Core 2, 2, 2.3 gig, gigahertz. 24, 240 gigabytes of hard drive. That's plenty for that. Again, working with the software boutique on there. Lovely touch there. Mm-hmm. There's another Mate machine. And another one. So we do all different kinds of specs of stuff. And then, obviously, it varies in the price. You know... And this one's Gnome, my favorite. So this is an Athlon, 4 gigs of RAM, 250 gig hard drive. Uh, look at that, Noah. Under 100 bucks. The thing that I like about this uh, concept is the reality is I think we very much live, especially this is true in the U.S., very much live in a society of that's not enough syndrome. And so we have to have lags, latest and greatest. And 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 what, what you find here is the reality is for a lot of people, and myself included, is if I have a web browser, an email client, and a terminal, I'm set. I can do my work and get work done. And so for man, for 20 pounds or 50 pounds or 70 pounds, whatever that translates to in dollars uh, or euros, uh, I would say also uh, the thing here's what Noah. You're wrong, actually. Okay. (laughs) Uh, We're all about specs until we're ready to buy a Chromebook. And then as soon as we're ready to buy a Chromebook. You could put a Chromebook out there that looks good, where you don't even say how much RAM it has or what the processor is, and people will buy it. Because uh, it's lags. It's the latest and greatest Chromebook. It sucks compared to the 10-year-old computer you have, but hey, it's brand new. And Isn't it can- funny, though, that when it comes to desktop computers, we don't make that same distinction? Like, well, when it's a desktop computer, it mm-hmm. needs to have an i7 or an i5. It needs right. to have a Core i processor or a right. latest AMD processor. And yeah, when you not look, just the Core i5 or Core i7, but the latest generation of the Core i5, i7. Right. What's an i5? What generation Wait, this, of i5? This rig here, Ubuntu GNOME, uh, Athlon 75500 uh, processor, 4 gigs of RAM, 20, 20, 250 gig hard drive. Uh, and a lot of these, this one, not, this one not in particular, but a lot of these rigs have dedicated graphics. Mm-hmm. I, I'll tell you, my experience, Noah, is under, especially under the Linux desktop with GNOME 3. Mm-hmm. I would take dedicated graphics over integrated graphics almost any day of the week these days. Uh, and for me, I think we, I think a lot of us out there, and especially for me, I, I, I need to rethink about this too, is a lot of cases we don't need a laptop or, or a Chromebook. A, a, a well-built, well-specced, with good quality components used PC is absolutely fine. For um, sure. And, you know, and personally... I've had uh, I've had a lot of people, uh, including my partner, approach me saying, "This Windows 10 upgrade stuff is driving me crazy. I want right. to go to Linux." And the conversation always eventually goes to down to the niggly wigglies about their use cases. And a lot of times I start at Chromebooks, and by the time I'm done, I'm like, "Okay, well that's going to be an Ubuntu Mate desktop. Oh, you need yeah. to scan records. Oh, you have to process transactions. Oh, you need to be able to connect this external device and save files to it." And a lot of times. I started eliminating Chromebooks, and it's funny is my own my own selection bias has been well, what laptop could we get that would be mm-hmm. a, that would be equivalent but would be a great full Linux machine? 
Meanwhile, right. well, because you're adding you're adding a $200 overhead if you go with the desktop, right? Because you got to have a display and then you have to also, I mean, there's inevitably going to be at least 20 or $30 in random power splitter, whatever things. Plus, you're going to have to buy a Wi-Fi card if there's not already a network. Or use there. Ethernet. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep. yep. So, so there, so there is, there is an overhead. Fair enough. Yeah, you're right. Dimension to buying yeah. a, a desktop. And, there is, and the yeah. other thing is a laptop is self-contained. You want to move the laptop to that side of the counter, pick it up, move. Yeah. You want to move the desktop. Well, now you got to have the network guy come yeah. back and put another network yeah. drop in. Although, so I we would argue that depending on the work case, uh, having to use wired Ethernet could be a work advantage, could be a work oh, for sure. workload advantage, or having uh, a you know a a a decent a moderately powered PC workstation that mm-hmm. is connected to a twenty three inch gorgeous two K screen. Yeah, that oh, for sure is also you know there's so it depends it, on how you want to look at it. Yep, and to be honest with you, I don't. So a lot of people, it also comes down to a. It also comes down to again the lowest common denominator thing. Where if I buy anything that I buy a laptop for, or I buy a desktop for, I could use a laptop in its place. But there are certain things that only a laptop will do. Personally speaking, if there's something I know is going to be a stationary product, like we have a a little kiosk type thing that when you walk through our back door that you can that we check in do work orders and stuff like that that will for all time always be a desktop because i know it's not going anywhere but if i was going to buy but once that computer comes out of circulation there's a limited amount of things i can repurpose that desktop for whereas if it was a laptop well we just give it to a tech or we'd throw it in the field or we'd set it up somewhere i mean yeah that's a lot more versatile so it can be they can be repurposed yeah, that's fair enough. Uh, and and really these days too, the the laptops are are, are so powerful that uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, especially if you're going with integrated graphics, there's not really a downside to going with a laptop. It's really more when you want to go more uh, dedicated graphics. So, anyways, right. uh, I think it's really cool that they're doing this and and rolling out Ubuntu Mate, which seems like the perfect perfect desktop for these older rigs. Now, if you want something exactly the opposite, you want something brand new, something powerful, something you could put in production, or something you can just experiment with, I have to recommend DigitalOcean. Noah and I use DigitalOcean as our infrastructure on demand. It's all powered by Linux using KVM as the virtualizer, SSDs for the storage, 40 gigabit E connections to the machines. These are slick rigs. DigitalOcean is a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way for you to spin up your own cloud server. You know, when they first told me that sentence, it's funny. When they first told me DigitalOcean is a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way to spin up a cloud server. I mean, I've memorized that a long time ago. And they, and I think the first time I heard it personally, because I have a bias towards the word cloud, but secondly, because it just seems like spin is like, okay, yeah, obviously. Now, having used them for multiple years, whenever we have a project that comes up, no one are like, well, yeah, we'll spin up a droplet. They are direct and simple. you can't really appreciate the ease of use part of that uh, tagline until you've used other VPSs. And believe me when I tell you, I've used them all. When you when you when you go to to a competitor and you see that the way that their dashboard works as as compared to the way the DigitalOcean works, especially now that I you know it seems like every time I turn around, I learn something new. Learned about that that uh, that build script thing that you can put in there, their user code. Now I'm using the network portion of it too. I can have a server spun up with DNS record created all the whole nine yards and have whatever application it was deployed in about 13 seconds. I love I it, dude. I love VPS it. That you can do that no, with. and the nice thing, the, the really, the really like thing that uh, has kept me has been, well, hello there. The really thing that's kept me for a long time now has been the interface. The interface is super, super nice to use, and they have a really, really nice API. Uh, <laughs> you're laughing, but it's Watch. true. 
What? What are you laughing about? <laughs> no, the API is great. Whatever it was that came onto your microphone just seemed. Like- I know it was like crazy. Like there's a monster in here. Uh, so one of the things we've done recently is we've decided to move over to an open source backend for our live streaming and broadcasting. DigitalOcean was perfect for that. It was just an example of once you have the management infrastructure put in and you start to understand their API, it's obvious. But you don't even have to become an, like an API expert. They have a bunch of open source code that's already written. You can take advantage of. Boom! You can take advantage of that open source code. Shoot, or you can be Jbot slowly controlling the entire world and, comp- and competing with uh, Google for uh, you know Skynet status. Either way, from nothing to total, just use our promo code. Here's the thing: all one word. You're like you're slurring it, and that's a promo code. They give you a ten dollar credit. All one word. Here's the thing. Lowercase. You put that into DigitalOcean. It gives you a ten dollar credit. Then you try out the five dollar rig, two months, for free. For five dollars a month, you get five hundred twelve megabytes of RAM, a twenty gigabyte SSD one CPU, and a freaking terabyte of transfer, which is great. They got data centers in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, Germany, Toronto. I love them all, too, because it's not just like they arbitrarily pick those data centers. They make great distribution points for those areas. Combined with their great interface, all powered by Linux and our promo code, it's a super sweet solution for spinning up your own Linux rig on demand, either with a full application stack with a one-click deployment or just a base system. You'll get root access with an HTML5 console. Check it out. Just use the promo code. Here's the thing. So we get credit over at DigitalOcean.com. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Linux Action Show. Here's the thing. And yeah, I had to email them several times back and forth to get that. Also, check out uh, how to set up Nginx server blocks, aka virtual hosts, on Ubuntu 16.04. You know that old thing you used to do with Apache all the time? Now you can do it with an Nginx. Oh, up on DigitalOcean droplet. Oh, it's so good. I, I, it I makes feel me want like, to use a fry as a like pointer. The, I feel like after the whole like stream thing, there are there are a few things about Nginx I no longer understand. Like, <laughs> just I mean, you, like you, 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 you know less compi- now. <laughs> well, we had to start, huh? You know less now that now that you've worked with oh, them. No, 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 no. I, I mean, there there are there are there are a few things I feel like I don't understand about Nginx. That when by the time you get to well, we can't use that module. We have to use this one, so we have to compile it back from source, and we have to like when you get to that level. Like I don't know, that's not my usual route of going through things, and so now I just I feel like I, I feel pretty comfortable in Nginx. I don't. That's why I use their one-click <laughs> deployments. I really do. Yeah. I don't. I, I like for me. Like I learned Apache. Why are we moving away? I, I, Apache. But you know what? They got great documentation too. You use the promo code. Here's the thing, and you know they have one-click deployments for Nginx instances. That's how I deploy Nginx these days. Not that it's so hard to install. It's just I don't got time to bother yes, with it. Is. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's not. <laughs> All right. So this week we have a pick that, uh, well, I'm we sorry, Rikai. So here's the thing, guys. Every now and then there's a pick we get to that we probably should have told you about six months ago. And the thing is, here at the Linux Action Show, the big show, we're real busy. We're super busy. And if it weren't for the grace of our awesome production staff, we would still not be talking about this. Uh, in fact, we have been told by just Rikai, the editor of this show alone, how many times about this app pick? 93 times. And that is 93 not an- times he has sent me a link in Telegram telling me that we need to cover this app pick. When we really... Times. We really need to cover this app because it is perfect for our audience. You probably already know about it, but if you don't, you need to go get it. It's called Etcher at etcher.io, and it is a slick GUI 
to burn S to burn images to SD cards, USB drives, safe and easy. So you got an ISO image for a distro. Yeah, you can use DD. Yeah, you could use DD Rescue. But this is slick. What do you think, Noah? I think that uh, personally, I'm all about the lowest common denominator. So if DD comes pre-installed on every Linux distro I use, it just it becomes a force of habit. Drop down to the terminal. I can bang out a DD command in about 30 seconds, even if it wipes the hard drive. And uh, you can plug a flash drive in and, and, and write that stuff. But the the thing where I think this really becomes useful is I deal with a lot of new users and I deal with a lot of, you know, people like my wife where it's not that she's incapable of running a DD command. I can, I can give her the, the syntax. She could run it, no problem, but she won't remember that, right? Because it's not something she does on a daily basis. Whereas if I tell her, just install this app, now it's something that she, then she becomes completely self-sufficient and she can write those ISOs by herself. So when you download this thing, it downloads as an app image. Which is mm -hmm. fascinating because I have not set up app, Im app images. I wonder what happens if I mark this as executable and I try to run it. I, I will try it right now on the show. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say allow executing of this program. And now I'm going to double click it and we'll see what happens. So I'm down I've downloaded Etcher as an app image. Uh, oh, well, look at this. It wants to be installed. Well, I'll go ahead and install it. Let's see what happens. So I... Okay, wow. And now Etcher is installed. Wow, app images for the win. So I just downloaded this as an app image on my Archbox, and it is now loaded. And you can see the UI here. You select the image, which, uh, uh, I don't know if I have any images on here, Noah. <laughs> yeah, I'd be careful about uh, the images that are on your computer there. <laughs> Come on, this is a production machine. Uh, so you select your ISO, you select your thumb drive, and you burn. Super easy, peasy to use. And uh, I actually feel like... If any of you out there are still using UNetbootin, just knock it off. Just knock yes. it off and use this instead. Use Etcher. Uh, also, SUSE, I'll give a quick plug to SUSE ImageWriter, which has been a solid contender in this space. Have you ever used that? Mm -hmm. SUSE ImageWriter, real simple. You launch it. You drag the ISO image onto the application. It only allows you to select your USB drive so you don't accidentally overwrite like dev SDA or whatever. And then it writes this image. This is the next generation. It's called Etcher, E-T-C-H-E-R. We have a link in the show notes, etcher.io. This is how you write Linux USB images in 2016. Check it out, cross-platform, so that way you can use it across multiple machines. A beautiful interface, hard drive friendly, makes drive selection obvious to avoid wiping your entire hard drive, and it can validate the image if you like. Check it out at etcher.io. Wow, that's a super solid pick that we have not gotten to, and I apologize, but I have it installed now. Now, in the last week, I love this one, because we got sent this spotlight by probably a dozen people, and you offhandedly mentioned something that just caused everybody to respond to this one. And that was, you mentioned the the, the horror story when we had this, uh, we had one of these Logitech Mies that needed to be paired uh, to a new receiver because everything got all mm -hmm. mixed up. And it's actually this one right here. Uh, and so you and I were looking at, this and looking at the uh, Logitech uh, universal software that allows you to match any mouse or any keyboard with any mm -hmm. receiver. You're all familiar with this stuff. And of course, it's Windows only. Right, And to be fair, I knew that there was a Linux variant out there somewhere, but I couldn't think of the name of it, and my Googling returned nothing. Well, so, we now we it. have it. If you have yourself one of those little Logitech receivers and a mouse. Unified receivers, yeah. Or a keyboard, or here's another mouse, or there's a keyboard over there. We have several of them here in the studio because I think, I think Logitech makes pretty good stuff. Uh, I want to introduce you to Solar. S-O-L-A-A-R or Solar. I'm not quite sure how you would pronounce that. It's a device manager 
for Logitech. It's a unifying receiver con and programmer and configuration to utility. And uh, it allows you to configure that receiver under Linux. It's up on GitHub, GNU slash Linux. And there's pre-built packages for Debian distros and uh, also, of course, an AUR package. And an OpenSUSE RPM as well as a Gen 2 overlay. And once you load this thing up, it is, I believe it is Qt-based, so you'll need to have some Qt dependencies installed. You can configure that Logitech receiver. Which is great. So thank you to everybody who sent this into the show because we had offhandedly mentioned having to use Windows to configure our Logitech universal receiver. So this is nice. And now that all of you told me, I will not forget it next time. <laughs> so S-O-L-A-A-R. And we'll have a link in the show notes because the URL is a little weird. Any thoughts? No, I mean, this is nice, right? It's like one more thing yeah, that Linux it, can do. It, it is. Uh, see, I've never actually programmed those receivers. I certainly, as heck, have not done it on Windows, but I've never even done it on Linux. I have an employee that that programs them here at the shop, and, and I know that he uses the software on Linux, I but I couldn't I couldn't think of the name when we were in Seattle, and quite frankly, uh, I forgot about it right when I got home, so I was yeah. really glad to see this come in. It was nice. So, so, so thanks to everybody. Linux Action Show at reddit.com if you want to submit your own, or you can tweet me at Chris LAS or at Kernel Linux. And uh, I had a couple of these come in over Twitter and over the Linux Action Show subreddit, so I appreciate everybody. Okay, no, that's all the picks. Let's do the news. the news and this episode is brought to you by ting.com everybody knows that everybody everybody last.ting.com that's where you go to save $25 off your first device or get that in service credit if you have a ting compatible phone and you might they got cdma and gsm networks ting is pay for what you use wireless can you picture that pay for what you use wireless what you mean if i don't use a thousand minutes i don't have to pay for a thousand minutes if I don't use 12 gigabytes, I don't have to pay for 12 gigabytes? Exactly. It's $6 a month for the Ting plan. Then it's just your usage, your minutes, your message, your megabytes on top of that, and whatever Uncle Sam takes. So go there. Last.ting.com. Support this show and find a better way to do mobile. CDMA and GSM, like I mentioned, so you get to pick what's ever stronger in your area. You bring your own device, or they have a bunch of great unlocked devices, which is really like owning your device. Kind of critical. Last.ting.com, they have a savings calculator I would like you to check out. I love Ting, too, because, well, to be honest with you, they're geeks. And uh, this next video here, right here from the Tings, oh, man, it tells you all about how geeky they are. Take it, Ting! celebrating uh, the fruit of many labors, um, we are opening a makerspace. You know, fundamentally, we believe that technology is just a great thing, right? We are a technology-based company that uses technology every day. A makerspace sort of is the physical embodiment of that spirit in that, you know, the internet was somebody's great idea, and we're offering you a place to have the next great idea. So hey the oh. next big idea could happen here in Westminster. The importance of it, I think, is, is measured by the, the response that we've gotten to just talk about this. The idea of this has taken off. It's been like a match on gasoline. We haven't had to, to persuade anybody that this is a good thing because the value of it is grasped immediately and, and that it's a, it's a, it's a tool. It's, it's like another school, another way of teaching people about innovation and how technology can make people's lives better. Having a makerspace set up gets people really interested in technology. Once they're really interested in technology, they'll want to use more of it in many different ways. And really, that all ties back to gigabit internet. So we 
really feel like in doing that, uh, we're really setting up an appetite inside of each town or city that we go into for fiber internet. I think there are a lot of people who do know what makerspaces are, and a lot of people who, as soon as you start to tease them with the idea of what a makerspace is, they're like, oh, I get it, I've heard about that. Isn't there one in California, or isn't there one in, yes, and now there's one in Westminster. And you're gonna grab three, two, Ting.com. I love Ting. One of the great things about Ting. Backed by two cows. That's, I think, probably one of the key things about them is two cows has been around for a long, long time. Back when I was downloading legit software for Windows, now they're just they survived the dot-com bust. And now they've stuck through it and they've come with some great properties, including Ting. They're reaching out into all different kinds of areas. Speaking of crazy technology, crazy technology on Ting, you crazy, Noah. You crazy. You're crazy. I've never seen a phone this small before in my life. And I love, Noah has developed like this like complicated story of if he loses <laughs> his laptop and all of the phones that he owns, which is numerous, he still might need access to Ting and Telegram. Ergo, he has to find the ultimate device, which has led you down this path, Noah. Well, so I, I th- th- twice now in my life, I have lost access to Telegram temporarily because I couldn't authenticate because you can't log into Telegram with a username and password like I would prefer they do. They insist on sending me this idiotic code that I have to enter into my my, my phone. Oh, man, I know. And Yeah, I know. It's so dumb. So basically what I need is I, I don't actually intend to use this device to actually operate Telegram. I just need it to, to – I'm just planning on using it to get a – the received the initial message with the authorization code, and then I can authorize whatever device or even a web client. I like to know it. Or last weekend, um, but it has to be really small. Mm-hmm. It has to have decent battery mm-hmm. life, and it has to be a GSM so that I can activate I like all those it things. Free, those are, that's pretty solid. That all sounds reasonable. Where you went after that, not so reasonable. <laughs> So he chose against eBay. So he goes on to eBay and he finds a $60 phone. It's the world's smallest mini waterproof Android dual SIM phone. It's a 2.5 inch Android. <laughs> it's it's this guy, for those of you that are kind of uh, take your index finger and your middle finger, like you're flipping Noah off and put them together, and uh, that's the length of the phone. That's how big it is. <laughs> you know what, Noah? I love it too because I want to get a boat. I want to do the next 10 years of last from a boat. Uh, by the way, okay. spoiler alert, the next 10 years of Linux Action Show, absolutely, no question about it, we're going to broadcast from a boat. And so it's good you got a waterproof phone. Good, good. I, I don't know. I don't I'm just, what I like is I like how you find hardware and then you reverse engineer a reason for needing it. So I'm reverse engineering I, it. Right there, I just did it for you. That's that's not just hardware, man. That's everything <laughs> I buy. I, I come up with, I, I'm like, oh, that's cool. I need that. Let me figure out why. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I love about Ting, though, dude. You can go get the SIM card, and you just toss it right in there. You can be like no. Jason. Uh, Maybe you would have to go get the SIM card. I just walked out you, of my basement yeah, and grabbed one. You grab when you already have. Jason writes, and he says, Ting saved the day. Hey, Chris, and no, I have a story about Ting and how it saved the day. I knew at a convention last year when I saw a panel being presented by this great artist that I knew. I wanted to show him the book I had been working on while I had my laptop with me. I did not have Scribulus installed, and I couldn't show him the book. Also, I could not use the Wi-Fi in the hotel. Well, yes, yeah, no kidding, right? Luckily, I could use the tethering on my mobile phone because I used Ting. I was able to download and install Scribulus and show him the book. He liked it, and I was proud. That man died last week, and I'm thankful that there are services like Ting that can help you out in a pinch. And you know what? That is super awesome, Jason, because one of the things I really like about Ting is whether you want to get like direct Android updates if you get a Nexus device or you want to just check the box in your OS that turns on Wi-Fi hotspot, Ting is always Honey Badger. 
If you want to use Ting as a dumb pipe, they're happy for it. If you want to use Wi-Fi and never pay a minute for uh, mobile data or, uh, or phone, Ting's happy with that too. And I think that's what's super empowering. Plus, you own your devices and they're unlocked. There's no contract and no early termination fee. Support this show by going to last.ting.com. Okay, Noah, you ready to jump into the news? You ready for the first one? I am. I'm really glad that Michael was the first one to write a story about this, because there is a trend I've been watching for the last couple of weeks, and I thought it would be in bad taste to talk about it on air. I don't know. I have a lot of respect for Frank. You and I have tried out OwnCloud for many years, and if... I'm actually back on OwnCloud. Are you serious? Yeah, like whole hog. Like is I think it was last week I actually did it, but I actually I moved all my stuff over. I tried it for a little. I've been running it since we did the review, uh, and I've been running it. And I haven't lost any files. Nothing bad has happened. So Same. I decided what could go wrong, and so I moved all of my important stuff, the stuff I rely on, the stuff on my magical little thumb drive, back on OwnCloud. Well, everybody that matters has left OwnCloud, and the project is left <laughs> struggling. <laughs> so congratulations, dude. <laughs> <laughs> well, my timing was great. <laughs> Um, I, I didn't want to talk about the story because I thought it was in bad taste, but I knew something was going on, and 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 now it's and many people have left, and Michael Larbel of Phronix is writing about it. There is an apparent exodus at OwnCloud right now, <laughs> so uh, good timing there. Uh, no, I'm not. Uh, not <laughs> just uh, you know, no. Uh, sometimes, sometimes you win them, and uh, sometimes uh, you lose them. <clears throat> All right. So an apparent exodus at OwnCloud continues. Uh, Michael writes, apparently something's happening to OwnCloud, the company behind the popular open-source alternative Dropbox. Since version 9, which we reviewed right here on the big show, a lot of high-profile individuals have been leaving the company, some publicly, some not. Uh, It really began with Frank, the creator and founder of OwnCloud, who we've talked to. I mean, you and I run into Frank. Every conference. Every, we every all, conference. Even, I mean, like, we don't always interview him, but we always have a great sidebar conversation. Frank right. is an engaging individual on all kinds of topics outside of OwnCloud, too, uh, including the Plasma desktop and even down to photography. I mean, Frank's a fascinating individual. And so uh, he's left the company after six years. Uh, he wrote on a blog post last month about leaving the company. And uh, we didn't really cover it then because I don't <clears> – I'm not – to be clear, actually, I want to take a moment to make sure I'm super clear about this. Uh, I f- one of the things I find the most annoying about the Linux community is the cult of personality that we find ourselves subject to. Uh, someone leaves GitHub and it's a big story, and I don't think it is. Um, we create blog posts and news articles about the top social open source nerds to follow, and I think that's kind of pathetic. I think a lot of times we get lost by the name behind projects, and we don't actually focus on the results of projects, the code, and the long-term ramifications. So I want to make it clear that one of the reasons I didn't cover this story early on is because this show doesn't focus on the cult of personality. I think it's a distraction. I think it's sports for computers and nerds. And so I like to I like to focus on results. So when one person leaves a company, I don't cover it. When multiple individuals leave an important open source project, I think we have something worth talking about. And so I want to start with Frank, since he's the founder. He writes, we've built something really special when people uh, want and will even be willing to buy it. But there's also other experiences. I won't go into details, but there are those who've, and I think he's kind of talking about you and I, who've had bad experiences. Uh, He says, been put in difficult situations. Without sharing too much, he writes. This part's really interesting. There are some moral questions popping up for me. 
Who owns the community? Who owns OwnCloud itself? And by what and what matters more, short-term mem- money or long-term responsibility and growth? Is OwnCloud just another company or do we also have to answer to the hundreds of volunteers who contribute and make it what it is today? These questions brought me to the very tough decisions, these ones right here. I've decided to leave OwnCloud, my own company today. I have handed my resignation and will no longer work for OwnCloud, Inc. Now, that's Frank's post. Uh, Michael goes on to say, this week we've also seen announcements by Joss, who we've had on this show, uh, Lucas, Bjorn, and Arthur, who are all different individuals leaving OwnCloud, Inc. Each of their blog posts confirm that they are leaving, but do not shed much light on the underlying situation at the company. And I think part of that is because all of them recognize the important role that OwnCloud plays as an alternative to Dropbox and third-party lock-in to things like Google Drive and others. OwnCloud is fundamentally a critical open-source project uh, as far as giving us a cohesive groupware-like response to some of these cloud solutions that are proprietary and often insecure, like Dropbox. But holy shit. If it was just Joss and Frank leaving, but you combined Locus with Yorn, I mean, there is definitely something going on with OwnCloud. And we weren't necessarily blown away with the version 9. And I don't know if maybe it's been people not getting some of the problems they have answered, community's input not being accepted. But <clears throat> two things I, I want to two things I want to mention before I toss to you. Number one. I want you, whatever you're about to say, keep in perspective the enormous amount of external pressure the OwnCloud project is under, not just for us, the open source community who want a Dropbox and Google Drive replacement, but also for enterprise networks who want an on-premises solution to some of these things. But also, at the same time, we're about to get into the uh, Google versus Oracle dispute where dual licensing, where you have something that's free and something that's for enterprise, which is a very, very familiar recipe for us here in the open source community, where you dual license something, is about to be a key part of the Google versus Android and, and Oracle dispute, and then copyright around the Java APIs. So there's a so this own cloud this own cloud discussion has a lot of external things that sort of make it a bigger story than just it on itself. So with that, I toss it to you, sir. The own cloud nine may have not blown me away per se, but it did. Fund, they have changed something. Something has changed because previously things that weren't working are now working, and I can safely say that having used it for whatever it's, it's been a couple months do now. Wanna, do you want to just touch on it? Well, so I used to have an issue where if if you have small files, text files, pictures, whatever. Those you're probably not ever going to have a problem with. They, those That seems to everyone I've talked to, if they say, oh, I've never had a problem with own cloud syncing, the desktop client syncing. Okay, well, what are you syncing? Well, I've got, even if they have lots of them, if they have thousands of them, that doesn't seem to be a problem. But if you do a lot of moving of large files, and when I say large files, I mean upwards of 10 gigabytes, and you're moving those files and you're moving them frequently and a lot of them, and you're syncing across a lot of computers, that's where I see own cloud break. And whatever they have changed- Can you give me a scenario where you're syncing 10 gig files on a frequent basis though? Hmm? Yeah, every week when I move video files around, I've got, Mm. you know, 
upwards of that actually. Mm. And and I, and I you know I, I take a folder of you know and they're each they're they're I don't know maybe five or seven gigs each and 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 then you know I've got a couple ones that you know the final renders are obviously much larger than that. And I take and select all of those and move them from one folder to the other. I'm probably moving twenty or thirty gigs. You do that a couple of different times, especially if you're doing more than one and you've got more than like seven or eight computers syncing. Yeah, it breaks. And what I, I have noticed is the last version. Whatever they have changed, something is fixed because that I'm no longer having issues with that. And I'm no longer losing data, so that's good. Um, and the other thing is too is the 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 optimist inside of me wants to say that the own cloud concept is such an important concept and such an important replacement and such a needed project that even if everyone in the own cloud project left, somebody would adopt and pick that that pro- project seems I like it's. It's too relevant and too important. Okay, well, two things. Two things. I think that statement right there is why they're Frank and Joss and others are not saying what they should be saying, and or, or what we'd all like for them to say. And I think the second part is even if people joined up with the project to continue on the project, doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily mean they'd be any good. What? What do you say that? Can you give me an example of a time when uh, the visionary of a project or the core founder of a project uh, left and the project went on to be greater and better? Mm, I guess not off the top of my head, but I can say that I also don't remember a time where we've had such an, it was such an important and relevant project spring up from the ground because yeah. it's not that old. And all, and then within a couple of years, everyone kind of tapers off. Usually people are leaving a project after it's lost steam. OwnCloud, I don't think has lost steam. In fact, I think it has barely begun to gain steam. Yeah, I think people I agree. are just now getting off of Google Drive and Dropbox. A couple of things jumped out at me about Frank's statement. He said there are some moral questions possible popping up for me. Mm-hmm. That's super vague, Noah. I mean, when I hear moral questions and I think about a centralized cloud hosting with uh, f- encryption and file syncing, mm-hmm. he, you know, he says who owns the community, who owns OwnCloud itself. When I think of moral questions, too, I think, was there something else as a corporation? Was there another motive about is somewhere in there that he wasn't comfortable with? I would really like to get a chance. So... <clears throat> In fact, we're going to talk about, you know what, let's pause this right here. We're going to talk about upcoming open source conferences towards the end of the news segment. And there's one you're going to be at very soon where you might get a chance to ask him some of these questions. So let's pick this conversation up when we talk about this. And let's transition to Google and Oracle. Nobody here on the show is a big Oracle fan. I'm sorry, we don't have one. If you are an unbreakable Linux fan... Good then we for want to you. know how well Java's working for you. I remember, I remember when uh, Oracle first set up a booth at Linux Fest Northwest. It was when. Did you ever go to Linux Fest Northwest when it was in an old like cafeteria room? It wasn't in the building it's in now. Okay, it was like it was several. It was many years ago, and uh, one year, Oracle was like one of the first big companies that wasn't like a Linux company to set up a booth. In fact, I think it was the first big company that wasn't a Lin- that wasn't Red Hat or Mandrake at the time, <laughs> or Via. I think I think Via had a booth. I think Mandrake had a booth. Red Hat had a booth. There wasn't really much Ubuntu at the time. There was a Debian volunteer booth. There was a BSD booth, and one of the first commercial booths was a freaking Oracle booth, and they were introducing Unbreakable Linux, and that was my first time going. What? What is Oracle? What is Oracle doing here? And fast forward to 2016, 
here we are, midway into 2016, and Oracle and Google are battling out in court over the use of some of the Java APIs and other things in Android. And Google just had a very successful court ruling in their favor. Uh, Google just got a win, a win <clears throat> in this battle that's been going on for several years now that says that Google was making use of fair use of the Java APIs. Now, Oracle has spent many millions of dollars trying to get Google f for this. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with this, Noah, but some people said this was going to set precedent for the use of APIs and that there would be, if Oracle won, then APIs could be copyrightable and anybody who uses an API could get sued, which if you think about that, that would be the ramifications of that would be just devastating to the industry. Well, it also doesn't that kind of defeat the entire existence of an API? The whole point of why you create an API, yeah. <clears throat> right. <clears throat> so this is a uh, this just happened. It just happened on uh, I think Thursday. Uh, following a two week trial, a federal jury concluded Thursday that Google's Android operating system does not infringe on Oracle's own copyrights because its reimplementation of thirty seven Java APIs protected is protected by fair use. Ironic. I can't even get last week last week's episode of Unfilter on YouTube because of fair use, but apparently Google can copy 37 APIs under fair use. How uh, many millions was... of dollars did you spend on your lawyers? <laughs> yeah, exactly. None. Uh, there was only one question on the special verdict form asking if Google's use of the Java APIs was fair use under copyright law. And the jury completely agreed that Google was using them in fair use. Now, a lot of people were super relieved online. I don't, have you, did you get a sense of that? I know you were really busy over the yeah. weekend. No, I, I was, but the thing is, uh, I, uh, I, I follow Michael Dominic on Twitter, and, uh, and he has some strong opinions <clears throat> about, about it. So, yeah, I, I, I did catch wind of it. And I actually happen to completely agree. In fact, over the weekend, I did additional research, and now I don't, not only do I think Michael Dominic was totally right to call it when he called it weeks and weeks and weeks ago, but uh, he's at, I think he's even more right than he's ever been, even though that Google won. I'll continue on in a second. Uh, Google said in a statement that this victory was good for everybody. Today's verdict that Android makes fair use of Java APIs represents a win in the Android ecosystem for the Java programming community and the software developers who rely on open source and free programming languages to build innovative consumer products, according to a Google spokesperson, you know, via email. Uh, Oracle. <laughs> Oracle, however, uh, big news here. No, 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 no. Hey, Oracle says that uh, it's going to try to go again. It's going to be. It's it's vowed to appeal. We strongly believe that Google developed Android by illegally copying core Java technology to rush into the mobile device market. Oracle has brought this lawsuit to put a stop to Google's illegal behavior. We believe there is numerous grounds for appeal, and we plan to bring this case back in the federal court, uh, or sorry, federal circuit on appeal, as according to Oracle's general counsel. It isn't clear how much Oracle would have asked for in damages, but it could have been about as much as $9 billion from Google had they won. Uh, they copied uh, 11,500 lines of code, Oracle attorney Peter Bix said during the closing arguments. It's undisputed. They took the code, they copied it, and they put it right into Android. Now, before we go any further, the second story that's gotten almost, but not quite as much attention as Oracle and Google's story and Google winning, 
was the op-ed by an Oracle attorney that said that Google's court verdict will kill the GPL. Now, that caught the attention of a few Linux users, and I want to break this down for you guys. So before I read any more, I want you to understand that the words I'm about to read are from an Oracle attorney. So you kind of get where they're coming from, their bias, okay? The, uh, and, and Ars Technica, rightly so, makes a big disclaimer at the top of their article. This is an op-ed, they say. Annette Hurst is an attorney at Oracle. So take this with a grain of salt. Or whatever salt you prefer, or perhaps something else. <clears throat> she wants to make the case that this is bad for the GPL. While we don't know what ultimately swayed the jury, she writes, Google's narrative boiled down to this. Because the Java APIs have been open, any use of them was justified, and all licensing restrictions should be disregarded. In other words, if you offer your software on an open and free basis, any use is free and fair use. If that narrative becomes law of the land, you can kiss the GPL goodbye. No business trying to commercialize software with any element of open source software can afford to ignore this verdict. Any business, she says, that uses open source with any element can afford to ignore this verdict, she writes. Dual licensing models are very common and have been long depended upon and this strikes a delicate balance between free use and commercial use. And we can think of lots of projects that have dual licensing. It is hard to see how the GPL can survive such a result. In fact, it is hard to see how ownership of, co of a copy of any software protected by copyright can survive this result. Google is an advertising company. It does not depend upon traditional software licensing, and it is therefore free to disregard the protections that traditional software licensing provides. So she argues that because Google was able to disregard the dual licensing model of Java and these APIs, <clears throat> that they put a jeopardy in the other open source project that is dual licensed. Now... <sighs> After reading the emails of Google employees that go back since before they bought Android, and in these emails, they clearly say, we should probably license this or prepare to go to legal battles over this and create enemies. And that's literally a quote. Yeah. And that's like a quote that happens like a dozen times in these email threads. But over and over again. I don't know if you read that 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 link no, that I, I tweeted. I, I, I'm aware of it, but I guess my point is Ford, a, a long time ago, decided that it was more cost effective to go to court and pay out when the Ford Pinto exploded than it was to recall them and replace the gas tanks in them. So it, that is a that is a business decision. You look at the cost of what it would cost to license or do something, and then you look at the cost of what it would take to go to court and fight it. And and if you lose, what the damages will be, or if you're going to win, what the cost to, fi to fight and win would be. And then you compare those two, and whatever the lower number is, that's what you do. And that's what companies do. And I don't I'm not saying that that's that's morally right or that's that's a good decision. I'm just saying that's what companies do and that's what that's what makes the best business sense. You could go with what's cheaper. I know you're right <clears throat> from a business standpoint. Yeah. 
How many times am I going to take it up the ass from Google? Yeah. How many times? Is it when they compromise with the carriers on updates and customizability so that way they could compete with the iPhone? Is it when they stole from Sun because they knew that Sun was a weak company and that Sun couldn't defend themselves and they could roll them? Is it how they've continued to screw consumers and haven't gotten Android and the massive fragmentation and the update problem under control? Is it how they steal all of our information when we don't give it to them voluntarily, and when we do give it to them, they absorb absolutely everything they can and build profiles around us? At what point, at what point, or is it when Google misbehaves simply, by the way, the best part about all of this is if you read through these emails, the reason they steal Java IP, the reason they rush to market, is to compete with Microsoft because they thought Microsoft was going to dominate the mobile industry. They did all of this because they were so scared of Microsoft. What a joke. Like yeah. everybody like the, the general like tech like s- narrative is it's because mm-hmm. they wanted to compete with the iPhone because they were worried about Apple. You can if you, when you read their actual emails that have been released as a part of this court process, they mm-hmm. were worried about Microsoft. And in competing against Microsoft, they became Microsoft. And now they are the new Microsoft. This shows their thinking. Fuck the little guy. Steal what he makes. And then when we get sued, fight him in court. But they... But the, the arrogant that is that, a very mic that is a, that is that is a quintessential Microsoft mentality. But right the there, bastards, the arrogant bastards at Google, didn't expect for the big kid on the block to buy the little kid on the block. They didn't foresee Oracle buying Sun, and that's yeah. exactly what happened. And Oracle is going to fight this. There will be an appeal. And Oracle, mark my words. On May 29th, 2016, Oracle will win this fight. All of it is in email records by Google staff saying that they need to license it. It's on record. There is no way Oracle will not appeal this and win this because the intent by Google to intentionally steal this and intentionally use it is on the record. And they will fight this and they will win this. And I hope Oracle does win this fight because if they do not win this fight, this fundamentally undermines some of the strength of the GPL. And why Richard Stallman, who was asked about this, said that this is an 11th grader's interpretation or 6th grade, I can't remember, he might have said a 6th grader's interpretation of the GPL, I would say that's about that sounds about right for a jury. And this precedent that it sets hmm. fundamentally undermines dual licensing, which is a key component to funding open source development in our community. Look at OwnCloud. Look at Zimbra. Do I need to make a whole list, or do I just need to stop right there with those two top picks? It's what, obvious ask- dual licensing is key to future development of open source project, and what Google has just done with this court victory has fundamentally undermined that strength. They are damaging us, and all of us sit around picking sides, jerking each other off. Yay, Google! You fought the, the evil oracle. Go, Google! Android is saved, and none of us actually think about the ramifications because we're us, such a bunch of tribal monkeys that we so get let, on tribe Google and we, let, yeah, Google beat Oracle, and we don't okay, even think about you, it. Let me ask you some questions. So first of all, what is the? Give me what the practical. Let's just say hypothetically, you're right. They go back, they win, and they pay out a couple billion dollars in damages. Now what changes? 
That's not going to stop Google. It's certainly not going to sink them. Second question: If they if they win, and and let's just let's just say something really really bad. Let's say the damages are are tenfold that, or twentyfold that, or or something that actually even makes an impact. And now we've now we do damage or destroy or get rid of Android. Then what are we going to use as a mobile operating system? Like I I just really I, I get where you're really huh? really yeah really. First of all, absolute worst case scenario. Oracle and Google, anything. no, Oracle and Light and Google create a licensing deal, just like everybody else who's taken a piece. I mean, look at Microsoft, right. dude. They're making like almost ten bill a year now off of Oracle. Or, I mean, off of, <laughs> you're, you're off making- of, off of. Hold on, off of, off of uh, Android licensing. And by the way, by the way, by the way, by not licensing properly from Sun Microsystems, Google didn't get. A heads up on is super critical, like zero day vulnerabilities that Sun mm-hmm. told their licensed partners about. And mm-hmm. Android was left vulnerable simply because they didn't buy an appropriate license and therefore didn't get a heads up by Sun development staff. And they had to patch the system after Sun put out patches, put out releases, CVEs went public, and everybody knew about these exploits. Then Google creates a patch, applies it to their crappy version that nobody uses, which then no operator actually allows any manufacturer to deploy, so no manufacturer bothers, and nobody gets the security fixes. You're making my point, though. Either it doesn't it doesn't effectively change anything, or if it does change something, at the at the end of the day, we all suffer. But I don't like it. It doesn't seem like there is a middle ground there. It doesn't there. It doesn't seem like any which way this plays out that Google gets it and then changes the way they do things and says, "Oh, yeah, that's right. We were wrong. Our bad. Let's change the way we." I, I don't see that happening, which seems like the only actual good outcome. Other than that, you're left with two two opposite ends of the extreme, both which suck. No, I, I think you're wrong there. I think uh, I think what you'll have here is you'll have a if 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 this plays out correctly, you'll have no additional precedent set. There's no real precedent being set here uh, by Oracle or by Google necessarily, other than perhaps weakening of the dual licensing model. And I think that's really what's at risk here. I don't like this Oracle lawyer. I don't agree with 90% of what this Oracle lawyer is saying, but that one component there is absolutely correct. What, what Google has done is they've said, we're bigger than them, and we have a priority. And you can look at their fi- and I'll cover this more in Coda Radio on Monday. They, they have filings that literally have stated, in order to compete with Microsoft, and they were all worried about mobile search. This is, go back to 2005, Google was very worried because mobile search was getting big, and mm-hmm. it, was, it, was, it was beginning beginning to approach the desktop amount, and they didn't have a great mobile platform. And they needed something, or else they felt like their dominance in search was going to be eroded. And that's where and they bought a company called Danger that made Android. And then they brought so it the, on, the practic- and they decided to use Java, because Java, at the time, was the number one mobile platform, quote-unquote, for development. So the- the practical change you're looking for is the legal precedent being set. That's what you're saying. The number one thing I'm worried about is the dual licensing model. And I'd like to have right. a clear answer there because I think that gotcha. is key to future funding to of open source projects. That makes sense to me. And but that's, that, I just, I don't think that. Why, so why I'm upset though, why I'm like all, why I'm all riled up is, mm-hmm. is everyone online on the, on the face bag and on the Twitters is all like, 
go Google, go Google. And meanwhile, I feel like Google is literally once again undermining what's best for consumers. And if you look back at Google's actions for the last seven years, at each major decision point, like all of the crap we're dealing with net neutrality now, and all of the issues we're having, like I don't know if you guys are following what's happening with the FCC right now, but all of that was started by Google working with Verizon. Like all of, like a lot of stuff is happening right now because of what Google has done competitively to bring Android to the market. And this is another one that is really screwing consumers. And in the, but the narrative is go Google, go Google. And it is mind boggling to me because it lacks all critical thinking and all analysis of history. If you've just followed the news for the last eight years, it is obvious what's happening here. But people that are watching this get so swept up by tribal loyalty. And it that's the fundamental thing that bothers me is in this tribal loyalty, we may be championing the very thing that undermines one of the key ways that open source projects get funded by enterprise and still provide something for the community. That's why I think this is a big deal, and I really hope Oracle does go to retrial. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm overstating it, but it, it, no, I don't think I am, because it's one of these situations where we champion for something that actually harms us, and we don't even realize it. I think, yeah, I think part of it is just that Google has a better, it just has better PR than, than Oracle does with the user base, right? And with the geek community. And, lot- and I want to say something really quick. Sorry, just to respond to the chat room. Mm-hmm. I think the mistake is a lot of us have thought that if Oracle won, like Rikai in the chat room says right now, it would be setting some sort of precedent that didn't exist before. Here's what you have to understand. If the company's licensing and interpretation is using these things, like structure and references, is copywritten, mm-hmm. then you're mm-hmm. in violation of a copyright. If they don't consider that copywritten, then you are not in violation of their copyright. And if right. you read the Google employee emails, they say... Sun inter- Sun's interpretation, and if we want support, and if we want security notices, we have to license on these key things, which we are clearly in violation of, but we are going to just move ahead anyways. They say this in their own emails. There's no extra precedent being said. This is not an unusual thing for businesses. Now, some APIs don't have these limitations. Again, this... see. The, the concept that Oracle is setting some sort of historical precedence is crap on its face. And it's why we have all gotten behind Google on this whole thing. This is not something new. This is super common in the business marketplace. This is the standard for this kind of stuff. It's not as normal anymore in 2016, but in 2005, it was very normal. Anyways, moving on. Linux 4.7, let's talk about something awesome, uh, because there's a whole bunch of stuff coming for AMD users. Recently, with all the NVIDIA news, everybody's been talking about the new NVIDIA 1080s and 1070s. But in 4.7, AMD is getting some serious love. Also, for those of you who use DisplayPort, the new DisplayPort uh, standard connector is getting uh, adapted and added. MediaTek's new display driver for some of those uh, MediaTek display machines getting supported. But I want to jump ahead. So uh, Michael over at Phoronix again has a whole post here. But one of the things he talks about, besides all the new ARM platform support, including the Google Pixel C, some nice improvements for AMD CPUs that do KVM virtualization. So not only is there a nice improvement for AMD GPUs, but AMD CPUs are getting a nice boost with the new 4.7. Hibernate and suspended disk for ARM64 platforms has uh, been upgraded and supported. And for those of you that think ButterFS is completely rock solid, well, 4.7 improves ButterFS support some more with some 
moderately important bug fi bug fixes. So if you have a big ButterFS implementation, you might want to consider that. Although Extended 4 isn't left out either. There's some Extended 4 improvements in the new 4.7 as well. And my favorite, XFS, get some improvements as well. And last but not least in 4.7, Noah, I know you're excited about this one. Asus's and Corsair's new uh, keyboards that have all the fancy lights and crap. Built-in kernel driver in 4.7, as well as the Lightridge Thunderbolt controller and the Realtek chip for Skylake now, HDMI audio. Skylake super, HDMI super audio. Now, here's my question: uh, How about the quasi keyboard? Does uh, you know they call it a mouse, but you know basically it's a quasi keyboard because it has 59 freaking buttons on it? Uh, is that going to be uh, supported? I don't know about that, but the Xbox oh, okay. One Elite controller, built-in kernel support. Heyo, ACPI 6.1, also EFI bootloader control driver, and other shenanigans like uh, Chrome OS keyboard backlight LED control for Chromebooks, all added to Linux kernel 4.7, Noah. Now, before we get out of the news, I want to talk about next month. We're at the end of the month as we record this show here, and I'm looking at opensource.com's upcoming events, and there's a couple that jump out for the month of June. The number one event that jumps out for the month of June is doo -doo 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 -doo. Red Hat Summit at the end of the month, I would say. Uh, also, um, if we uh, fast forward to uh, what? the 10th. Hold on. I'm getting there. Oh, okay. The number one big event that matters to Noah is... Yeah, I was, was going to say Red Hat's on what? No, uh, self, self is self is coming up. Is one of my favorite Linux fests. One of the where I think some of the like the the truest core believers in Linux and, and in GNU uh, exist and, and come together. And we're going to be out there covering it. It's going to be a great time. Um, and it it's far more the thing that makes self different about a lot of the other Linux fests is it's it's not about all of the structured activities. It's way more about the unstructured activities, the side conversations, the going out to dinner and hanging out and just sitting around and talking. Um, yeah, it's awesome. And it's just it, it, it's it's a, it's a, it is a it is my time to like rejuvenate and refresh and kind of like come down from from the rest of the Windows infected world and, and kind of recharge. Be with your people. Uh, it goes from uh, <laughs> yeah, June exactly. 10th to uh, June 12th uh, and uh, you can find that at uh, Southeast Linux Fest. Just go Google that. And then BSD can runs from the 8th uh, to the uh, to the tenth or to the eleventh, and uh, Mr. Jude and Chris Moore will be there if you're BSD now uh, listeners. And then uh, there's a couple other events up in July, Noah. That uh, I don't know if you're on your radar. Uh, there's going to be LinuxCon Japan for people over there, and uh, then also in uh, September there is LinuxCon North America up in Toronto as well as ContainerCon and the Linux Security Summit up there. And then in September. There's a few things going on, like uh, Moodle Moot and in Australia, but here's what I'm really fascinated by. You ready for this one? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So in October, it's LinuxCon Europe, and then in November, from November 1st through the 4th, the mm -hmm. Linux Plumbers Conference. Oh, nice. Now, I think this is what- They used to tag that onto the end of uh, LinuxCon. So the Plumbers Conference is really like the, the underlying infrastructure stuff in Linux that all mm -hmm. the projects are going to be built off for the next year. Like mm -hmm. when SystemD was being conceived and containers and name groups and C names, mm -hmm. and all that stuff was being talked about. They were Linux Plumbers, Linux Plumbers Conference was there. When, when Lenart mm -hmm. was, was building his case for SystemD, it starts at the Linux Plumbers Conference, blah, 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 mm -hmm. blah. And uh, it's in um, New Mexico. Oh, nice. In November. Tempted to go to that one. I was looking at the drive, like if I was going to take Lady Jupes, 
Uh, mm-hmm. It's a <laughs> it's a bit of a drive. It's about uh, well, it's, Yikes, Google says yeah. twenty one hours, but I think in Lady Jupes, you know, you got to add like eight to that at least, yeah. maybe more, maybe ten hours to that. So it'd probably be about a 35, 40 hour drive from Seattle to uh, New Mexico. But one thing that would be super cool, and I don't know if this would be possible, we would go right through Salt Lake City. And when mm-hmm. I went, when I did the trip to your place. I was going to come back through Salt Lake, but I had to cut it short for time. And I heard from a lot of people that were going to be at Salt Lake City. So I think that would be pretty cool to go down to the Linux Plumbers Conference via Salt Lake City and meet up with a bunch of people there. So I don't know. It's on my possibility radar for the Plumbers Conference. That could be really cool. Although, And that's a nice drive. It'd be through Washington, through Idaho, through Mm -hmm. Utah, and then down into New Mexico. Huh? Mm -hmm. Right there. It's about a four-hour flight or about a 30-plus-hour drive. (laughs) (laughs) and that's and that's why i fly (laughs) yeah yeah exactly uh so we have a link in the show notes if you want to check out other events uh, and maybe there's multiple events that you might want to attend all of that and if you're going to be at southeast linux fest say hi to mr at kernel linux while you're there so boom that'll be fun i'm looking forward to that episode okay that's all the news for this week let's go look at that libram 13 baby. I can change, baby. I can change. That's what Purism told us with the Librem 13, and we think maybe they're right. It's sleek. It's nice looking. It's a black svelte model, a 13-inch laptop that promises to respect your privacy and your freedom and protect your digital life. So we're going to review the Librem 13 here on the big show after I took a look at the Librem 15 first. Before we get into all of that, you know what we're going to talk about? It's Linux Academy. Oh, LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. Go there to learn more about anything we've ever covered on this show and way more. With 2,453 videos, let alone all those self-paced courses with downloadable comprehensive study guides, shoot, Noah. You know what? You can learn there, son. You can learn. I mean, like, they got these scenario-based labs. Now, Noah, let me ask you something. Mm -hmm. Fact or false? If you got a perfect, like... Uh, like, uh, what are those called where you have like this, um, like this mathematical Rubik. problem, like a story math problem. What are those called? No, what are those called? Remember from school? Uh, ridiculous and dumb. You remember those were like, Susie has four carrots and she's going to be catching the train and the train right. has a box of 12 carrots on there. Once Susie catches the train, how many carrots will yes, be on I, the train? I frequently wake up at night wanting to strangle the people that wrote those. <laughs> I forget what those are called now because it's been so long. Word problems, oh. they say in the oh, chat word. room. I guess those are word problems. This is, this is the thing. That kind of training, like that sort of abstract thinking never worked for me. Never. That's why right, I love Linux. Dumb. It is dumb. That's why I like Linux Academy's scenario-based labs. They'll put you in the middle of an everyday ta- everyday common task. You have like real experience working with these things. And if you ever get stuck, they've got instruct- instructor mentoring that's just like, boom. Hey, like, hey, boss, I got this question. I need this help. Can you help me with this concept? And they actually have somebody who knows what the hell you're talking about. Because Linux support and all the open source solutions around Linux, it's not just like a feature on their training platform. It's what their training platform is. It's all they do. That's what they're dedicated towards. That's why I love them. They have graded server exercises, which I think is a slick way to go. You log into their lab server, you perform a specific task, and Linux Academy automatically grades your actions so you can see how well you did. Servers automatically spin up as you need them with SSH login, seven plus distros. The courseware and the servers automatically match. Courseware on Python, OpenStack, PHP, DevOps, Red Hat, Ruby. Amazon Web Services, which is really its own beast, and Android. And, of course, everything around Linux. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged where you go. Visiting that, that supports this show. 
lets them know you heard about it here, and it gets you a great discount. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. Now, the Librem 13, uh, I was really curious to see how this one stacks up. We figured this would be a great laptop for Noah to review because he really loves the 13-inch laptop like form factor. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like if you were going to have a sweet spot laptop for portability and performance and power, you love yourself the 13-inch. Now, uh, Noah, you got this thing, what, a few, I guess actually now a few weeks ago. Yeah, it's been been a couple weeks, which is really how you and I both prefer to review a laptop, right? Rather than Mm -hmm. getting it out on Monday, pumping a review it on. on, on, Oh, yeah, totally. You know, one week doesn't really get it for you, for you. And what basically what you have to do is you have to get it set up and then you have to use it as your primary computer for a given week. You got to live and, it. Yeah, you do. You have to live it. And so, and I've done that uh, since I've had it. Um, and, and I've learned a, t- a ton of things about it. Some things I like, some things I don't like. Uh, definitely, I'll leave, I, w- I don't think this spoils review, definitely a completely and totally different animal than the Librem 15. Oh! Totally different. Okay, all right. So then uh, we'll, we'll start with Noah's first impressions, and then we'll come back to hear his follow-up thoughts. Take it away, past Noah. UPS guys showed up today, and what did they bring me? A box. Well, what's in the box? Let's take a look. <clears throat> Okay, so fairly generic looking box. No real markings except for a tiny little number right there. In fact, so much so, I didn't actually know what it was when it first showed up. So let's see. This. Packing material. Oh. After queuing around the Oryx Pro and it's... uh, ginormous power supply. This is a this is a welcome change right out of the bat. And the cord that goes with it. Nothing in there. Nothing in there. We've got the Okay, so right off the bat, I'm in heaven because I have a flip-down Ethernet jack. That is a that is a must for me. And as we can see, there is no Windows key, but it's also not labeled as Purism or Linux or Ubuntu. It's just blank. Um, not the end of the world, but at least it's not a Windows key. And 13-inch form factor is wonderful. And it feels very well put together for sure. So looks like we got power and USB on that side as well as a small little reset. That's kind of handy. And then on this side, we have wired Ethernet, full-size HDMI, USB 3.0, and an SD card slot. And there's, there's a serial number on the bottom. Looks like the bottom can be taken off. Uh, and so it looks like it's pretty easily user serviceable. In fact, let's do that. Let's see what it looks like inside. Okay, we've <clears throat> taken all of the screws out and 
just lifts right up. That's pretty neat. <coughs> okay, so inside <coughs> we have an 850 Evo 250, 250 gig. We've got crucial RAM. Looks like there is 16 gigs in a 13 inch laptop. That's pretty good. This whole thing is the battery, so I expect the battery life is going to be pretty decent. And we have a Theros model QCFA222 for a wireless card. Um, so yeah, let's uh, be using this throughout the week and we'll see, put it through its paces and see what it can do. But first impressions are, I'm pretty impressed. I, you know, the 13 inch form factor is my wheelhouse. So um, it's gonna be pretty easy for me to compare this to what I'm used to. So looking at that thing, Noah, uh, it looks like it's a lot of battery and that you actually recorded yes. a few weeks ago. So this is not just one week later, it's a few weeks later with your impressions. Right of the unit. I gotta say, first impressions look solid. I love the fact that it has an Ethernet. The color like looks legit. It looks like a really nice like black metal. Um, and uh, the insides look pretty promising. A decent wireless, decent battery, decent drive. So what have your sort of three weekend or whatever it's been impressions since then? How's it so been? Power, powering it, uh, so, <clears throat> you know, build quality, top notch. Absolutely outstanding. Everything is put together super well. Feels like a really solid laptop. Build. I have no gripes about the build. Wow, actual great. physical build quality. Oh, yeah, really great. Well pulled together. Now, <clears throat> I booted it with, uh, you know, their operating system, and it's not my. That's not my my thing. The trackpad where everything works physically inside of their operating system, which is great, which is what you would expect. Um, and so, if you can live in a perfectly uh, Libra world, um, or you know how to modify. Uh, their OS to make it work for you, then I think that's that's going to be great. So you, I had, actually, so you have to use, uh, sort of like with the uh, 15, you have to use the, 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 the Librem or Purism OS or whatever it is to, to, to get full trackpad support? Right. So And I can't do that. Um, and so I had to, I, I well, I shouldn't say I can't do that. Maybe with no, enough No, I think it's honest. I think as a business, it, no, you can't do that. It's not, it is not reasonable to expect you to run a one-off Linux distribution that, distribution that maybe a few hundred people are using. That's not reasonable. Yeah. So for me, that wasn't a real practical uh, goal. So what I did was I actually ended up, I didn't want to, I imaged, the, the first thing I did was I imaged the drive. Um, and then I, I pulled it out. I put my own drive in there. That way, I just, I would feel a little bit more comfortable putting my own data on it and storing everything. If I knew that my it was only going to be on my drive and it was going to come back out afterwards, then I, it, it changes the perspective of it feeling like a review unit to feeling like my computer, right? And so I put I, I upgraded from the they gave me a uh, an 850 Evo. I upgraded that to an 850 Pro, and then I uh, installed Ubuntu 16.04 on it. And I uh, read out of the box every the screen is. Beautiful, I, you know, 1080p, uh, 13 inch, absolutely outstanding. Um, the trackpad, though, uh, without the kernel drivers, and it's not. I I, it, I understand that there is a problem with it getting pushed through upstream because they're using a, a different trackpad manufacturer, whatever. But uh, it is it is horrendous. It is horrible. It's terrible. Uh, How so? In their operating system, it works great uh -huh. because you know it's a large tr trackpad, but. Outside of that, if you use any other Linux distribution, tap to click is on by default, which means I'm constantly inadvertently clicking. And it you is can't difficult turn off to tap to click? No. And there are no two or finger scroll. How so do you, I'm how do you scroll? at the edge of the screen to, to scroll. Say again? How do you scroll with the trackpad? 
I don't. I, gra- I go over to the edge of Firefox and drag the bar down or drag the bar up. So is it like showing up as like a PS2 mouse to the operating yes. system? Ah. Yep. And supposedly they have fixed it and they have submitted a patch and uh, I was given a uh, a new kernel that I had to manually install to try to, but even that, it, it just didn't work. Um, and it would, if it was my own money, that right there would have been a deal killer. If I if I purchased a laptop right. in a store and right. brought it home and right. couldn't use track two finger scroll and couldn't turn off uh, tap to click, the laptop would be going back. Yeah, because I mean I, that makes it feel like it's a perfect laptop for Purism OS or Pure OS. It's not a perfect right. laptop for Linux. Right. And like I said, I understand that the changes are have already been pushed and they just haven't been rolled out into a bunch of stuff. Maybe if you're using Arch or something, you had something really new with the latest kernel, that problem might already be solved. It will, I understand, be solved in the near future. But that right there would have been a deal breaker if it was my own money. And if I was evaluating, if I was spending 1500 bucks, that would have been a deal breaker. The, the closest... Uh, large name manufacturer that I could compare to because I was walking around Best Buy a couple days ago and I was saying, what could I compare this to? So somebody that doesn't have it in their hands could could say, oh, that's about what I should expect. I would compare it most closely to an Asus ZenBook. Um, if you put an Asus tag on the back of the uh, computer and you put a slightly different keyboard in it. Um, Asus has a really snappy, responsive keyboard. This one is a, is a little bit more on the spongy side, which that is personal preference. That's not necessarily a good or a bad thing. If you like, uh, you know, snappy keyboards, then, um, this, this probably, you know, is not going to be as desirable to you, but if you like that, that spongy, dig your fingers in, you know, solid key presses, my dad really likes that. Um, then, you know, this would be more up your, up your alley. Mm, Um, but aside from that, I would compare it very, very strongly to an Asus ZenBook. I think a lot of the design and stuff, and it also, I believe it's the same ODM as your, um, Apollo, so it it's it is it is very similar in in build construction and you know and and feel and and stuff like that. Although the Apollo does have hmm. the a different trackpad that does allow it to work in already uh, with existing uh, Linux kernels. So uh, have you had a chance at all to look at they so that I know a couple of things that uh, a lot of people talk about when it comes to the uh, Librem is it does have the uh, privacy kill switches so you can right. uh, hardware toggle off uh, camera and microphone right there. Yep. That's kind of nice. So, so the one one little blip I found with those is because the operating system it, it, it they are doing what they tell you they're doing they are physically disconnecting the device from the computer and that's both good and bad. It's good because it means it is a true privacy kill switch. It's mm-hmm. bad because the operating system does not expect you to open your computer up and rip a webcam out and then shove a webcam back in there. So you can't use the kill switches in when you're booted into the operating, like if you kill the webcam and you turn it back on, you're going to have to restart, which is fair because again, that is, oh, that's I not really didn't so expect that. I would have thought with a USB device, it would have just been redetected. Uh, not in my experience. And again, maybe that's just, it could be a quarter 1604. Who knows? There are many, but, uh, but yeah. my understanding, you know, after talking with a couple of people and researching a little uh, bit, okay. it would appear that it would appear that the, there, that, that the operating system Ubuntu just that. doesn't expect. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's not necessarily so, hit on Libra. It's just it's yeah. a function of if you want that true disconnect. I don't really care because a I never really turned it. I, I don't really care if there's if my webcam is disconnected or not. So that's not really something that appeals to me. I'm not really into the that privacy aspect of it. Um, and I always want my Wi-Fi on, or I wouldn't be using my laptop. So, um, personally, those I haven't used either of them other than to test them, um, and they do work. A couple of things that uh, jump out at me about their marketing, they talk about the large multi-touch trackpad, which, of course, rings is, MacBook notes. They say scroll, click, zoom, scale, all with the easy-to-use multi-touch trackpad. Uh, first, if it was you're a using mouse. the OS, that is true. 
First, th- first there was a mouse, then came joysticks, eraser heads, trackballs. Now, welcome the ultimate interface, the multi-touch trackpad. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, so that's pretty nice. Uh, they talk also a little bit about the network jack, which I think is definitely worth yes. mentioning. And yes. then they talk about the purism key, a powerful key to search your computer and applications. And they show it with a square on there. Now, uh, does yours have that square? Maybe. I, I'm not. Maybe I'm not understanding where this uh, purism key that's is. The, it's next to the alt key. It's where the super key should be there. Oh, no. Yeah, it's just blank. Can you hold it up to the screen there? Do you have yeah, it with for you? Sure. So it's it's blank. See, yeah. but here in their in their product marketing, it shows a square. Now, uh, why am I mentioning this? Same shit was happening with the Librem 15. There's just small little things on their website that don't actually match up with the shipping unit. Like that's not what you get in production, but that's what they show on their website. It doesn't matter. I don't give a shit if there's a box or just a black key. That's not what matters. That's pointless. What matters is what they advertise doesn't match up with what they ship. And, and it's small little yeah, things and, and like so, that that make me go, well, it's it's a multi-touch trackpad that's the next evolution of input as long as I'm running pure OS. And it's a super search key that does a lot of stuff as long as I don't expect it to look like that. You have a point on the on, on the button, although Rakai was saying in the chat room how he would strongly prefer a blank key. I, I can't really give it to you on the uh, if you're only using pure OS because let's face it. That's what they're selling it with, and that would be like saying, well, the Mac trackpad works, but only if you're using Mac OS. Well, that's what Apple intended you to use when they shipped you the computer, right? So, I, I mean, you, there, there is a case to be made for, well, maybe Pure OS is not, uh, is not a market-ready operating system, thus the computer is not a market-ready computer. That argument I could buy, but I, I, can't, I, can't really, I can't really rag on them too much. As, as no, long I, as the computer works my, the way they should. I want to underscore, I don't, I don't again... I don't I don't give a shit if it's a blank key or a key that has a box on it or yeah. a key that has a Tux logo on it. Right. It should just match up what's on the website with the shipping right. product. That's all I right. care about. Right. Because it's it's there's there's five or six of these little minor differences that they list one thing on the website and you get something else in the final product. But mm-hmm. uh I think it's I think it's I think it's a really interesting concept. Uh it, really what you're what you're asking to buy off on is pure OS. Uh, and then if you're okay with pure OS, then maybe you're okay with this laptop. And the other thing yeah. I think that you should consider is you are s- essentially spending money with a company that cons- that's concerned about certain things that might align with your interests. Like they have a video on here, for example, about privacy and free software. And I just, I'll play like a couple seconds of it for you because this might line up with your feelings. We have lost our digital freedom and privacy. You may not even realize how many services invade your private life. Over 90% of internet users lose private details daily. How is this happening? Simple. Over time, we've allowed bad corporations, websites, and governments to nibble away at our rights, one private detail at a time. Purism has a solution to restore your rights by building beautiful hardware, where every chip and every line of code respects your freedom and privacy. In order to achieve this vision, we need your support. Let's send a message that we collectively believe our rights must not be taken. Together, we can take back our freedom and privacy. We are purism. So there you go. Uh, and, you know, and to be honest with you, I, I understand that that's where they're coming from, and I understand that that's where they believe that they're marketing towards. And we've talked about this in the past. I think there is 
I think there is is a huge disconnect between the product that that they're delivering and the audience that they say they're going towards. I, I think that this appeals more to people like you and I who want a really nice, well-made Linux-supported laptop, and we're okay with compromising a little bit on the on the freedom and the binary blob stuff. And I think the people that really care about that wouldn't really care about this level of build quality. So I want to just touch on something really quick. Uh, mm-hmm. it, this thing pitches itself here as a laptop. This is an, this is a movement uh, to stop bad companies from stealing our data. Literally, word for word, uh, get involved in our movement. Stop bad companies. Over time, we've allowed bad corporations. Oh, I'm sorry, bad corporations. Websites and governments to nibble away at our rights. So bad corporations, governments, and websites have nibbled away at our rights. And the way we can fight that, the way we can stop that. One private detail at a time. Purism has a solution to restore your rights by building beautiful hardware where every chip and every line of code respects your freedom. Except for, of course, where the binary blobs are involved. Uh, if, if this is true, if they have a mission to take back what bad corporations and governments have taken from our privacy, if they truly want to give the people a beautiful hardware to fight back... Wouldn't it make sense to take advantage of the most popular, widely used Linux distribution out there and use that as your platform? If you are trying to do all of this and convince people to use your one-off, esoteric, hole-in-the-wall Linux distro that you created out of nowhere to support your hardware that isn't truly Linux compatible, that's not going to work. That's not. You don't start a movement like that. Playing devil's advocate for a minute. If you didn't believe that any of the existing Linux distributions were free enough, you know, and they, I can make that case pretty well in Ubuntu, right? Um, I, I can't make that. Oh, I can't make that argument quite as well as you know with. Um, then it's not with, doable. Yeah, that well. So that's that's kind of my thought is that uh, is that is that the the cost that you would the, the cost and the compromises you'd have to make start to outweigh the ability to build a really nice you know, well-made computer because the companies and components that are required to build a really nice Linux functioning, high-performing computer uh, just simply don't, that, that technology just doesn't exist in, in the Libra world. And I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe somebody knows something I don't. Um, but all that aside, uh, the, you know, when it comes down to it, eight hour battery life, I had to actually set aside time on Friday to measure the bat when you asked me to measure the battery life, because I would plug it in at night and I wake up in the morning and I would get through my entire day and the battery still wasn't dead. Um, and so I had to actually sit up and, 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 and measure if I turn the computer on, how long will it stay? It was about seven hours. Um, two USB ports. I, I eat one of those for my YubiKey Nano. So I, I'm left with one usable uh, USB port. Um, and then obviously an SD card reader. The, 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 I guess the, the ending question or the, the, the big question, would I spend $1,500 on it if it was my own money? No, probably not. Um, for three reasons. One is, as of right now, the trackpad doesn't work. I understand. And I guess every time I bring this up, somebody tells me what's well, in the process of getting fixed. They're going to fix it. As of right now, it's not being fixed. That's problem number one is that the trackpad is, is a no-go. Problem number two is it is still 
made by a company that uh, you know that is that is getting started. And you know, if it was a five hundred dollar or six hundred dollar, any basically anything under a thousand dollars, I think I'd be willing to take that chance. Once we exceed that thousand dollar threshold, I want to have confidence that that company is going to be around to support me if I need a new battery or if I need a, you know if I if I, if I need a replacement or I need some support or something like that. And I don't know that I'm a hundred percent sold on that. And then the third problem is. If I compare this $1,500 laptop to an, to other $1,500 laptops like the ZenBook, like a ThinkPad, um, like some of the new HP Envys that are out, like some of the new Dells that are out, um, if I compare them side by side, I can get a laptop that works easier for mainstream distributions like Fedora and Ubuntu and Arch uh, with slightly higher quality components because I'm either getting dedicated graphics or mm. I have a slightly more responsive uh, keyboard more tailored towards my tastes, you know, or a trackpad that works um, for less money. And so, and I, and I, again, if I was a, if I was a, a super diehard uh, freedom Libra loving guy, then it might be worth the money to invest in that company and, and to support what they're doing. Um, if the price point was a little bit lower, I might be willing to still make that, that jump. But I don't think right now, I don't think I would spend my money on, on this computer if it was up to me as it sits right now as the one that they sent to me. How is, but, but that's, I will say this, it is a, it is night and day compared to the 15, the 15, you could not pay me to use. If you said I'd give you $200, if you live on that for two weeks, I tell you to go screw yourself. And I go back to my phone before I use the 15, this I would spend six, seven, eight hundred, maybe even a thousand dollars on it as a computer. I would use it for sure. Performance was good. How was performance? Performance was incredible. Well, performance, I never hit something I couldn't do. I edited video on it. I did, I listened to music. I did all my work on it. Uh, Performance was great, bar the trackpad thing because I'm carrying a mouse around with me because I can't use the trackpad because I inadvertently click on things and I can't right click. So assuming you're good with pure OS. If you're good with pure OS and or if that patch the, comes and the, through. And the price point. And the price point was a little lower, I'd, I'd be sold on it, yeah. So, it, it, and it, the differences between this and the 15, I just... If they were, to, con- even, if yeah. they were to contact you and say, uh, Mr. Chalaya, we'd be willing to work with you on a contract basis to consult with our company, uh, and we would like you to advise us on things we could do to make a product that is more approachable to Linux users in the business place, you mm-hmm. would tell them... I would tell them dump pure OS and go with stock Ubuntu because uh, that is the first step into getting mainstream, you know, adoption. Second of all, I I just do away with the hardware switches. Um, they're great, but they are like as you pointed out, a tech support nightmare too. It, it, well, and cutting a hole in the in the computer and putting a physical switch that comes out that appeals to such a small subset of your uh, of the audience. Ninety percent of people, myself included, perfectly fine with airplane mode. I don't. I can't say that I'm a hundred percent convinced that everything is perfectly safe. But I'd say I rest pretty safe and easy. That if I want to be offline and I click on Ubuntu and disable enable networking, fairly confident that uh, my computer is now disconnected from the outside world. Um, so get rid of those. Uh, I'd like to see a different keyboard. Again, not my style of keyboard. So if there's, and I know that. System 76 did exactly this. They shipped my Galago with a crappy keyboard and everyone told them it was a crappy keyboard and then they redid it and now the keyboard is darn near perfect. Get a different keyboard in there um, and make sure that trackpad driver gets yeah. in. You get all those things in, yeah, yeah. I think it would be one of the best Linux laptops out there. If only because it's an aluminum 13-inch 1080p uh, computer that 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 runs Linux and, and mm-hmm. is you know it comes with Linux. I think, I think it's a product struggling to find itself. 
Uh, it advertises itself as uh, the fuel for a movement to take back our privacy and our freedoms from these uh, bad corporations, and yet it ships with something that requires proprietary blobs and their own operating system. Uh, it's something that purports itself to be a for Linux laptop, but yet doesn't work for all Linux. You see, it's this kind of, it's this kind of, it's this mismatch here. Um, it's something that says, hey, if you truly want to be private and secure, you need to have hardware toggle switches. But yet, that would seem to, at the same time, fundamentally suggest that you can't trust the underlying operating system, which is part of right. their pitch for switching, is that you can right. trust the underlying operating system. That's so a good point. There's That's several, a really good point. Yeah. yeah. You see, there's just several points where their message doesn't actually match with the word, what they're delivering, and I think mm -hmm. it's still something that needs a lot of thought and reconsideration. Now, that said, they are launching the Librem 11 on, on uh, Indiegogo, and I see it's rocking with 12, or I'm sorry, now 13 backers. Um, I think they need to spend more time reflecting on what this product's actually going for and who they actually hope to buy this. I don't mm -hmm. think there's going to be a lot of PureOS fans out there just waiting to buy this thing, and I think people that are truly concerned about Linux that think they need hardware toggle switches are probably going to be running FreeBSD. So there's a lot that I just don't quite understand. At the same time, maybe, like you said, after a few kernel iterations, this, this thing will be better supported. Although the mm -hmm. reality is, by the time that happens, we'll be on an entirely different generation of Intel chipset. That's right. the Linux Action Show's look at the Librem 13. And that brings us to the end of this week's broadcast. But before we get out of here, we got some feedbacks to get to and some real-time follow-up to our review, just some additional perspective uh, as we were chatting uh, in between shows. But first, I got to thank System76, long-time sponsors of the Linux Action Show, and they made this here feedback segment, the one we're doing right now, possible by creating incredible systems designed to run Linux that don't fight you, and by the way, let you install just about any damn OS you want, although they are born to run Ubuntu. They got desktops, laptops, servers, some great laptops. Noah over there is the owner of the Oryx, even though he's sort of a 13-inch man, he went for that powerhouse when he edits, and I can understand. They got the Gazelle uh, 15 and Lemur, Lemur 14. Oh, 50 bucks off right now, too. And the Bonobes workstation coming in at 17 inches. Look at that thing. Oh, my God. Those things are You know, are on the monsters. way back from Linux Fest Northwest, Ian actually told me how to pronounce each one of these. Like, he's like, oh, it's, it's Lemur you, or, yeah. or Lemur. And you guys Lemur. always say, and he Lemur. told me all these. And now I've forgotten them all. <laughs> I, I, I not only that, but while we were there, I was, like, trying to pay attention. But, like, I got Kudu and I got Oryx and I got Gazelle. And I feel like that's pretty good. And Bonobes. I got yeah. Bonobes. It's the... Limur, that uh, I don't have quite right. But they also have great desktops, including that Retel Performance, which I think is the sleeper. Over at System76.com, go over there and get yourself a system designed and supported to run Linux. Get a hold of Emma and tell them that Noah switched you to Linux and she'll send you something cool. <laughs> That's true. There you go. System76.com, tell them we sent you. Uh, Real-time follow-up, too. So uh, I don't know if we talked total exact prices in that review segment, uh, but just so you have that, uh, the uh, Librem weighed in at uh, $1,768, all shipped. That was with 16 gigabytes of RAM. Um, the uh, the drive was a 250-gigabyte SSD. It had a, a 1080p resolution screen. And it included wireless and the kill switches and PureOS 2. And that clocked in at 1768. Now, a similarly specced ThinkPad, uh, but with a newer generation processor and Intel chipset, actually comes in at 1083 with 16 gigabytes of RAM, 
um, a uh, a Core i7-6300, which is a faster processor and a newer processor at 3 gigahertz. It does ship with Windows 10, though, which is kind of unfortunate. A 12.5-inch IPS display uh, with a 1080p resolution and a 256-gigabyte solid-state drive. Uh, and two uh, front and a rear battery. Uh, and this is a ThinkPad, right? Or a, a Lenovo? Okay. You're right. So that yeah, so that's worth comparing those two items when you look at that. You know, you've got the uh, you got the uh, crowd supply version of the Librem coming at seventeen sixty eight for uh, last generation i five versus a Lenovo at a newer generation, and I that's that's a hard that's a hard. Well, I think where you're going to spend that extra seven hundred dollars is if their message and if their passion and if their goals and ideals align with yours. Then I would I buy a system seventy six. That, that's where you spend. That's what you're spending that extra seven hundred dollars on for. Yeah, well said. Uh, System76.com. So if uh, you've heard about Flatpak or XDG apps, we have a great walkthrough thanks to somebody in our subreddit. And I, I really love this. It was only uh, posted a day ago uh, from uh, this, uh, their, uh, the FernsWolf97. Okay, I'll take it. Uh, it is a walkthrough of Flatpak. Now, does Flatpak ring a bell for you, Noah? Does that? Uh, no. All right. All right. You're not listening to Linux Unplugged, apparently. You got to be listening to Linux Unplugged. We've been covering this stuff. So XDG app is sort of the Gnome Camp's final solution for universal applications across distributions based on like yeah. GTK runtimes and whatnot. Yep, yep. It was renamed a Flatpak. Flatpak is based on the IKEA easy to pack crap. And uh, we haven't really had a lot of hands-on. Today I had a hands-on with AppImage during the show, and that was fun. But Flatpak is another alternative to get one universal installer that, for a sandbox application across all the distros. And uh, Mr. Wolf here, Mr. Wolf97, had a chance to go through this and give us his complete take on installing uh, the GNOME desktop and the GNOME platform based on GNOME 320 and installing GNOME Calendar, and he talks about the Flatpak runtime, how much it took, the GNOME runtime, the GNOME Calendar, how much total packages were installed. And then there's some really great comments, including from Pasolo or Pasolo or Pal Soso or Soso Pal Pal, who always has great commentary in our subreddit, has for a long time now. Uh, he jumps in there as well as others. So if you've heard of Flatpak or you're curious about universal in application installations on Linux, this thread is a really good one to read from our community. So I wanted to link you. And we've been talking about this a lot in Linux Unplugged. And if I'm losing you on some of this stuff, go back and listen to a few weeks of Linux Unplugged and catch up. Big stuff. A, a bunch of different camps are working on universal applications. Say goodbye to RPMs and devs. It's happening. I think by the end of 2016, we'll be one of these should win out. I don't know if it's going to be Flatpak, but one of them will. So Scott writes in, and he has a couple questions. Apparently, you had uh, you had mentioned something about wanting questions to come in, so he wrote in with some questions, and he says, "Chris has struggled with thinking or feeling about LastPass. Has he begun using LastPass again?" Oh. <clears throat> Is that not something you're prepared to answer? No, no, no. It's just uh, I I really liked my custom brewed password management solution. Until mobile, and I, I just I didn't think about mobile enough because it was so much of it was based around SSH and into my droplet, running mm -hmm. pass on the command line, getting information, and when I switched back to the Nexus 5X, I installed LastPass for Android, which you probably this so LastPass for Android actually supports autofilling the passwords in the apps, mm -hmm. not a thing on iOS, not something. It also Last supports the YubiKey. Yeah, not something, not something you can do on iOS. There's no support for that. The support is super clunky for filling. So when I switched 
back to Android, and I started using LastPass on Android, and I was able to integrate the thumbprint or the fingerprint sensor for the Nexus in there and stuff. I, I slipped back into LastPass, and I've I've been going LastPass hard since then, uh, mm-hmm. and I just I feel like I, I feel. I feel disappointed in myself for going back to proprietary solution. I feel bad for abandoning my custom rolled deal that I I liked a lot. But at the same time, like every time I need to set up a phone or something like that, like mobile is just a, like it's a serious component of my workflow now. And like honestly, I I have to include that now going forward. And I, I plan to go back to the drawing board because it really bothers me that I'm back on LastPass, just mm-hmm. because I'm not. I'm not really afraid of LogMeIn screwing them up so much as I've learned this lesson so many times. I know I need to self-host this, you know. So yeah. I feel like a ticking time is, is uh, like a time bomb is is ticking, and mm-hmm. I want to move to something else. But I'm back on LastPass. What about you? Uh, no, I'm sticking with uh, I'm sticking with the the Mozilla Firefox manager. You know, crazy. Ever, you know, here's the thing. Back when I switched to LastPass, Firefox Sync wasn't a thing, and with Firefox Sync, I mean, honestly. I'm not, other than the two-factor authentication that I get with LastPass, I'm not sure what I would be gaining. I, I mean... Okay, all right. So what about... Uh, I'm gonna, let me just look at, I'll just look at it. I just rebooted my phone, so let me log in here. So let me look at just a couple of things here. So what about when you want to log into uh, some of the apps on your phone? Like, uh, you know, any of these that have a login. Uh, I'm looking at my Reddit app. I'm looking at Slack. I'm looking at uh, Pocket Cast. I'm looking at Talon. I'm looking so at this, Audible. So that comes down to the fundamental difference is the way that you and I both use password managers. I don't use the things that I access on a daily basis. My Reddit, my Slack, stuff like that. If I have to do it, uh, if it's if it's a necessity, password. This is the password manager. Um, and then for those one-off things, that site that forced me to register so I could submit a bug request or whatever like that, those kind of things, that's where I randomly generate a password and save it in a password manager. Um, so you're saying the most popular serv- services that are most likely to be attacked and have your password hacked are the ones you use the most easy-to-use guest password? That's what I'm telling you. Okay. Well, actually, <laughs> I, I would argue that there's – I would argue that it's not – my passwords <laughs> are not easy to guess. But yeah, they are yeah. shared, so if you get yeah. one, you'd get them all. Yeah. But yes, that's what I'm telling you. So uh, he also asked about uh, reviewing Gen 2 Linux. Uh, yep. He asked if it's still difficult to use. Do you uh, do you have any interest? I in would doing- totally, I would totally review Gen 2 Linux. Really? Yes, in a heartbeat. What are you gonna? What are we gonna review? Gen 2 Linux. What, what about the it? Process it to- it's the what upstream. The process is- of getting into. Okay, yes. The, you could review the process of Gen no, 2. It's not just the. Okay, all right, all right, fine, fine. You want to have the. Okay. If you want Gentoo Linux, if you want, if you ever told, asked yourself, I thought to yourself, I want to learn about Linux. I, w- I wish yes. I knew more about Linux. I want yeah. to learn about Linux. Yeah. Install and live on Gentoo Linux yeah. for one week. Yeah. And those questions will be answered. You will I understand Linux. I did that like eight years ago and I'm good, dude. I'm good. I did that like <laughs> eight, nine years ago. I'm good. I like well, really like 10, 10 years ago, actually, maybe more. Than, I'm like, so here's, here's what you would review. I mean, this is just my personal opinion. You'd review the file system, I guess. Or, like, what do you review? Like, everything's upstream. Like, it's all upstream packages that you build and install. I could review the use flags. I could review the process of the documentation. But it seems like you could just go read the documentation and review it yourself. Okay, sir. All right, boss. Uh, What? We should have a future discussion. But if if I, I, I will go here on the record and say that I could make an in, a very interesting and compelling Gentoo review segment. That's that's my that's my challenge to you. I feel like in order to do a proper Gentoo review, you'd have to like live through an upgrade cycle of something major. Mm, maybe. 
maybe in order to get the, 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 the feel of like of the longevity of Gentry, but let's face it. Is there anyone out there that doesn't think that, uh, by the way, maybe, maybe I'm just saying, I think that we could do a segment on Gentry and I think it would be good. Hold on. Full stop. By the way, I believe my four year anniversary of switching to arch just passed four years. Wow. Four freaking years. I've never stayed on any distro that long. Yeah, and for anyone that, that questions his allegiance to Arch, I can tell you it is solid. <laughs> Hold on. Actually, that's BS. It's you should admit that out of anybody. Not it's, BS. It's not Arch. It like I don't care if it's Anagros. I don't care what you're using. It's not oh, Arch. Yeah, right, right. Sorry, right. sorry, sorry. Yeah, right. Right. Whatever. The, uh, arch derivatives then. Whatever. No, it's My not even is- that. It's not even that. It is it is fundamentally the flexibility and the concept and the availability of software and nothing more. I don't I, I know two, I know three names of Arch developers off the top of my head total. I, I don't I'm know. Saying, here's all I'm saying. All I'm saying is getting you to use any other Linux derivative other than an Arch variant is like pulling teeth and then some. And if by the grace of God, I can get you onto something else for whatever thing we're doing, uh-huh. you complain nonstop the entire time and <laughs> drag my attention to every little thing that wouldn't happen if you were an Arch. But again, if Arch was named Grandpa's Penis, I would still think is the best distribution. It's not. It's not about who's contributing software to Grandpa's Penis. It is literally yeah. about the flexibility and the documentation and the software availability for Grandpa's Penis that I find to be exciting mm-hmm. and exhilarating and useful. And I, I do not find it's not. It's not a distro. In fact, my preference for Arch is the antithesis of a distro allegiance. I know that doesn't That's make fair. sense, yeah. but it really. It it makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. Arch is not really a distro. It's just vanilla Linux almost. That yes, makes perfect sense. Exactly. So yeah. there you go, Scott. <laughs> I mean, okay. So let us know in the feedback. Well, uh, no, he's got one other question. No, I know. I know. I'm just saying. Let us know in the feedback thread if you guys want us to review Gentoo and what it's like to live on Gentoo for like a, a week or two. Let us know. I guess. I mean, if that's something you guys want, I'll. I mean, I'll do it. We're I've done it before. Gonna, I would be curious make- to go back. Okay. The the third question he asks is virtualization on Linux, and to that I just say. Check out last week's episode and tell us what you think. Yeah. See if you still have any yeah. questions. He says, uh, compliment your comments, of course. Uh, he says he's a hard of hearing individual. He really appreciates that the record volume on your podcast is always loud. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're welcome. It is the action show, after all. All right. Stephen B. writes in with our last email. Uh, for, and it's about an email. So he says, hey, I love the show. I just thought an ep- I just thought that an episode of last could go over setting up one's own custom email. Down to the server, domain, and DNS needed. Possibly using do for the email server part. I think that it would make a great episode and help those that want to remove themselves from the corporate ran email servers. Hope the shows continue to go well and be awesome. Hmm. Running your own mail server. Is there mm-hmm. still an interest in doing that? You know, if I if the, that I wouldn't have put that in there had the question not come up more than once. Um, I, let me tell you this, and I think Chris will back me up on this. If you've ever run your own email server. That is enough experience for you to know that you'll never want to run your own email server. And if you think you want to run your own email server, it's because you never run your own email server. All that said, if you guys want a how-to on how to set up an email server, I'll do it. Yeah, I guess if you're going to go into running your own email server and you're going to put your family members on it, 
Just remember, you are now responsible for their communications and their data. And when your mail server doesn't work, their data is missing and yep. their communications. And when it gets blacklisted work. from other sites, you have to go through that. When they start getting spam, you're going to have to go And when you realize the thing you built isn't quite good enough and you need to build a new thing, you are responsible for migrating their data flawlessly from one thing to the other thing, or else they lose faith in your ability to manage said thing. And it is a lot of responsibility, and it creates interesting fi- family dynamics. And I would definitely say give it a hard consideration before you just jump into it. Uh, you know, you saw the feedback. They want us to do the Windows virtualized versus Windows native performance too. That came. That's so we got. We got to eventually start working on that too. I don't know when the hell we're going to work on that. We because we should do it when you, when you're out here in person. But so that way we can really benchmark it. But that mm-hmm. is something that came through as well. We got a rig. We got to rebuild that. Uh, there's mm-hmm. one dead yeah. machine out there. If we rebuilt yep. that dead machine and got it running Windows uh, native and benchmarked it and then got it running Linux with KVM running um, a PCI pass through for I say mm-hmm. P, I say here's what I was thinking Noah PCI pass through if possible for sound and video. And we should look into networking and just see what our options are there, or if we need to. Well, the networking part's easy. It's, in fact, I bet it, actually, I don't say for networking. The, it might not be parallel. Paravirtualized networking is extremely badass. We might not need to do it, but yeah. just saying. I, I, I'm not. Th- I, well, anyway, uh, I have. Can we do this though? Can we structure this so that Rakai can install Windows and test the native thing? Yeah, that's you, good. Can, you and I can go get some Chinese or something, and yeah. then we can come back. And put Linux on it. We may need to exchange can... burgers, but I think that's yeah, I that's, think that's fair. I'll, I'll give it like five burgers. You, you work Ten on burgers. that. You work on yeah. that. Uh, so and if Windows has already blown away, like fifteen burgers when I get back. So we'll eventually get to that. And then if you guys would also like a how-to on an email server, legitimately though, if you really want it. Otherwise, don't don't ask us to do it because I'm not necessarily sure it's a great idea. Although I do consider doing it all the time myself. It's so not a great idea. Huh. It's it's barely a passable idea. Yeah, just ask Hillary Clinton. Just ask Hillary. All right, so that brings us to the end of this week's episode of the Linux Action Show. Go check out Linux Unplugged if you want more awesome Linux podcast content. That show's always got something every Tuesday. Now, we are live on Sundays over at jblive.tv, noon Pacific, which is uh, what uh, what time is that uh, Grand Forks time there, Noah? 2 p.m. Oh, 2 p.m. So you're not quite East Coast. You're like, uh, like Dude, what? I'm, the far, I'm about as far. East Coast the other direction. You're like uh, you're like midi East Coast. You're like almost East Coast. It's not quite East Coast. I would qu- be Central, <laughs> in between East. Oh, and West. you know you yeah. should you Funny should they should take that and run with it. That'd be a great idea. But you don't have to worry about <laughs> this time zones. So go over to JupiterBroadcasting.com/slash/calendar. They'll convert it automatically to your local time zone. We have robots on standby. If you'd like to email us, we have gorillas that we are not shooting over at JupiterBroadcasting.com/slash/contact. Did you hear about this gorilla situation at the zoo with the kid that fell in the? Did you hear about that? just happened. Kid fell into a zoo, shot the gorilla. <laughs> okay. No, you didn't hear about that? You should listen to Unfilter, man. What the hell? What? You got to listen to Unplug and you got to listen to Unfilter. You got to catch up. All right. So anyways, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact if you want to send email in. But if you want to send in topics or open source projects you like us to highlight or news, for God's sakes, could you put some news over there at linuxactionshow.reddit.com? They'll also You'll have a feedback thread. You go in there and tell us if you want us to do those crazy things or give us your thoughts on this week's review at linuxactionshow.reddit.com. Noah, where do they find you online? At Colonel Linux. And I have, this week, I have, uh, I have engaged in Twitter wars yet again. Oh, really fun time. No, Noah. Really fun time arguing with people. See, if you look, I'm starting to get, you can't do this. You're going to get gray hair like I have. And that's no good. People are wrong on the internet sometimes and they must be corrected. And so I volunteer to help. Well, Noah, somebody's got to do it. Somebody. <laughs> I'm at Chris LAS. You can follow the network at Jupiter Signal. Thanks so much for tuning in this week's episode of the Linux Action Show, and we'll see you right back here next week. Yeah.
uh, hey, chat room. Hey, let's do this. Hey, chat room, really quick. Everybody say happy birthday weekend to Rikai. Today is not technically his birthday, but still, everybody in the chat room say happy birthday weekend, Rikai. Because yeah, you know what? Let's give, let's give Rikai credit. He is going to be editing this show on Sunday of his birthday weekend. Right? I mean, that's super cool. So everybody in the chat room, happy birthday weekend, Rikai. There you go. I'll put it up on the stream for you. Hey, Rikai. Happy birthday, Rikai. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Just for Rikai, look, I got a little song for him, too. Saying by our president, because that is how important Rikai is. Thanks, sweetie. None of that. Look at that. Okay, you know what? That was great. That was great. All right. Look at this. She's not lying, dude. And you see how I'm going to wait? Look at <laughs> the burger in there. There's a how burger. Fit that in your mouth. I, well, uh, I start, I eat. Basically, I look where the sauces are at and I start there and then I eat in. So Ooh, that's smart. So I'm going to do that's smart. I'm putting that so aside and I'm not yourself. even going to eat that during the picks. I'm not going to eat that. Dude, We're gonna do what would you do if you dribbled on your red shirt? I'd have to go oh, get. What would you wear? You'd have to go naked. <laughs> I'd have to go get one of my other red shirts. <laughs> oh, you don't have more than one. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. Yeah. And like, and then like you're like you're like you you have to know about this. I have to tell you. Yeah. And, and I also get mad that I haven't found the way to communicate it to you in a way that if you if I what it feels like is it feels like if I just properly communicated it to you, you would then understand. And if you think about it, that's me respecting your intelligence, and it's me saying I'm not. It's not your fault that you don't understand. It's my fault you don't understand. And then I get frustrated that I can't connect to you to make you understand. And that if you would just listen, you dumbass, you would understand. <laughs> See, he did it again. That's the thing he does. He does that thing. <laughs> That's all. And I, but I don't consider that a soapbox. What I consider that no, is, well, is here's a point of view that all y'all aren't considering, and I'm getting real upset. That's not a. That, I think that at one time, I think that would be it. I think it's when you rehash the same ideas in different phraseology with different analogies in different ways from different perspectives, but always saying the same thing i think that's where you get the and but you didn't do that with libra I mean, you just did it with googles i don't know why yeah i'm on a soapbox dude i'm on a soapbox yeah, yeah apparently you know think what about it. now we're on a soapbox about being on a soapbox yeah. <laughs> i love it dude hey chris if you have four pencils and i have seven apples so don't do this how many pancakes will fit on your roof <laughs> purple because aliens don't wear hats